0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. Really excited about this guest, Shannon Martin. I have been reading Shannon's books, following her on social media for many, many years now, and I've heard her on about a gazillion podcasts. So to be able to actually talk with her for an hour myself was super fun. She is a mom, a wife, and a neighbor living in Goshen, Indiana. And, um, We want to emphasize neighbor because she actually just wrote a book called Start With Hello and Other Simple Ways to Live as a Neighbor. She's very passionate about that and that is something I am also very passionate about. So um, it was really fun to connect with her on that. She's also the author of the books Falling Free and Ministry of Ordinary Places. She's a phenomenal, beautiful writer. And in this episode, we talk about what it means to be a neighbor, but we also talk about her life and how she got to where she is now and how her views and thoughts have changed on a lot of things and how she's walked through that pretty publicly and what that looked like. She is a cook at a local nonprofit as well, dedicated to feeding her community and falls asleep most nights thinking about breakfast. That was straight from her website. Um, I love it, though, that she works at her local kitchen and helps feed her neighbors. She's the kind of person that um, I want to be neighbors with. I want to live across the street from Shannon Mark. But more than anything, she encourages me to Care for my neighbors and want to connect with my neighbors. Probably one of my favorite conversations I've had on this podcast to date. So I really hope you enjoy it as well. If you do enjoy it, please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. So, you know, new listeners can find it. If you find benefit in this show and, and you enjoy it every week, hopefully other people will do the same. And, and uh, when they see the reviews on itunes that helps them decide hey do i want to listen to this show so um if you want to learn more about this podcast or any of the shows in our network just go to sandyboyproductions.com all right enjoy my conversation with shannon martin all right friends today on the podcast i'm so excited to welcome shannon martin to the show welcome to the show shannon
1: Thank you. It's so good to be here.
0: So you have been out of the country for nine days. <laughs> Portugal. I
1: yes. I just got home a uh, day before. I've been home for about 24 hours.
0: Wow. Okay. What were you doing in Portugal?
1: We just went for fun. My husband and I and, and a couple that we know from church and the neighborhood. This is our second trip together. So we, we went to Ireland last year with them, and it was our first time traveling with with these friends. And that's kind of a big deal to find like friends that you travel well with. Mm-hmm. And it went so well. So we keep scouring these discount travel websites. <laughs> and we found another great deal. And so we went for it.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so your kids are a little bit bigger. Yes. Do you have to even get any sort of like help. Yeah, with
1: them? we do. I mean, and that's, that's worth mentioning. You know, my kids now, my youngest is in eighth grade, he's 14. Our oldest is a senior and then we also have a, a sophomore. so they' they are super independent and you know Calvin can drive and all of that helps. When, when my kids were younger, I definitely traveled some for work. but last year was like the, the first time in in, I don't know, 10 years that we did a big trip. I mean this isn't normal for us, but our kids are at that phase now that it's just so much easier.
0: Okay, did you have any sort of anxiety leaving for that long and like flying overseas?
1: I, I always I don't I don't necessarily feel like it's a lot of anxiety, but bef- whether I'm traveling for work um, or for fun or with my husband or without him, I always have that like low grade like this. It's it's so weird to say it out loud, but I'm always like I could die. Oh, yeah. And I know that's true every day of our lives, but it's like something about getting in a metal bird. And flying over the ocean that just kind of makes it hit home a little bit more. And like like you're kind of implying, doing that with my husband, mm. like with, with both of us, going so far away. You know, we had a nine-hour flight on the way home, and you just kind of buckle into your seat and try to forget about it. And yeah. it's dark out, and it's fine. You just kind of ignore it. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't feel particularly anxious about it, but I also am aware. Mm. I'm, I'm always just kind of aware of like, you know, there's that little bit of like, oh, I love my babies. And just I just want to get you know, I want to go and have a great time. And then I just want to get home. to them. And they're not babies. They're big babies, you know, but it's still it's it's I still feel that way.
0: Okay, I love that you said that I've been talking to my therapist about this a lot lately. And I'm I'm a new to therapy person. And it was a very long overdue situation. (laughs) Um, Same because of anxiety. (laughs) Um, But I love that you said like, it's there. And then you just try yeah. to forget about it. Because I think my big thing is I try to just like, I don't want it to be there. Yeah. And so like to acknowledge it's there. And then like, then what am I going to do with it? So I love that you said that, but then you try to just forget about it.
1: Well, yeah. And I think some people are have an easier time doing that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just that anxiety hasn't been particularly my thing. Um, I don't know if you're an Enneagram person, but Corey, my husband is a six. So he's like... Like he processes anxiety and like lives in anxiety a lot more than I do about different things. Um, but I actually, I know we talked for a minute before we started recording and you're almost to the end of start with hello. I only men- mention that because I wrote about this at the very end. So oh. when you get to the end, like there's a little section that I close out the book about this very thing. And I always say to Corey. No matter if I'm traveling with or without him the night before, I always say, and this is so silly. I don't know why I'm even admitting this, you know, to the world, but I always say, I don't want to die. Or what if I die? Like, I I just have to say it out loud one time. And he always says, you're not going to die. And we both know that we don't control any of these things, but there's something about like sitting with that anxiety, verbalizing it out loud, acknowledging that it's real, And then trying to kind of like move, move, not necessarily move past it, but just move through it. There's there, It's like become like a weird travel ritual that I now require.
0: That's (laughs) so interesting. Okay. We won't harp on it too long, but if if anybody is an anxious flyer, I listened to this incredible episode on the Mel Robbins podcast where she actually coached someone through some flight anxiety and it helped me so much on my last flight because I've always been an anxious flyer, but I'm like... I want to go to races for work and like, yeah. you know, I want to go to, I want to, I don't want to live small because of this fear. right And um, one of the things she said that I love that I'll just share with everybody in case they struggle with this is to find like an anchor so that when you're feeling those things, there's something that is anchoring you down that, that you're excited about. So like mm. for you, you just picture hugging one of your kids and like the smell of their hair, whatever it is. Yeah. And like, that's your anchor and you believe I'm going to get to them to get that hug. And so yeah. that kind of helps. Sometimes that freaks me out though. Cause I'm like, what if I don't,
1: you know? I know. I love that though. And th- the thing for me that I wrote about a little bit, I won't say too much about it, but there's, it is always like when I feel my anxiety really drop, like you know i feel it the night before and on my way to the airport it's just kind of living with me yeah but i don't know what this is i don't know why it is um when i see the other people i'm flying with they're strangers to me i don't know them but there's something about like looking around and that feeling of like i am not alone yep we're we're literally in this together whatever happens <laughs> to one is really probably going to happen to all there's something about just seeing their faces and And realizing that we are in it together, that helps me tremendously. I don't quite know why, but if that's helpful to anyone, that's my tip.
0: I love that. I do that too. Well, um, that's a good segue too, because your book is a lot about living together with people. Um, Yeah. And Shannon, I, I told you before the call, like I've been following you for a very long time on Twitter and Instagram. And so... There are so many ways we could go with a story. And I know that you have been on a million podcasts talking about your Mm -hmm. new book, Start With Hello. Um, If anybody knows me personally, they know that I am like very much into knowing my neighbors and cultivating relationships. And um, I just moved to a new place about two years ago and like basically stood in the street with my arms out saying, we're new. (laughs) You know, like I want to know you. Yeah. It, and it's been easier with some neighbors than others, but um I guess let's start with your love for community mm-hmm. and then maybe we can get to the other parts of your story where yeah. you it landed in your neighborhood and and yeah. your kids and all that.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I mean I you you've you've hit the the nail there. I this is so I was new to my neighborhood about 10 or 11 years ago. And and so that sounds so long ago at this point. You know, it's like this is I've lived here in this house for longer than I've lived anywhere other than my childhood home. Um this is my, you know, this is this is what mo- my kids will for the most part. This is how they'll remember their life is in this home. You know, they were they were trying to remember preschool, kindergarten and second grade when we moved here. And so for me in some ways I still feel kind of new here weirdly. Um, because I didn't grow up in this, in this community, but my kids, like they really did grow up here. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, from the point that we landed in this city, in this particular neighborhood, in this community, I was like you, I didn't know anybody. I am an introvert. And so there, you know, a lot of what I'm doing here is kind of wrestling with and against this, this real desire for connection and friendship and community with also the fact that I you know, I'm not an extroverted person. I have to kind of nudge myself out of my comfort zone to do these things. But I also, I just, I think everybody holds this, um, maybe sort of a, for some people it's quieter, for some people it's louder, but this internal loneliness where we want to go through life linked mm-hmm. with with people around us. We don't want to go through life alone. We want to have people to celebrate with and to suffer with when those hard times come. We just we're we're crying out for this, and we don't know quite what to do with it. And so, when I landed in this new new to me neighborhood where I didn't know anybody, um, I just started to really ask myself different questions about about what the possibilities even were, and and what could I expect, and what should I expect, and how do I do it? And and those questions have really informed really my entire career as an author. I just keep. I just keep asking different questions about community and why it matters, and who is our neighbor, and you know how do we do this thing? Um, and and so yeah, my most recent book start with hello is kind of the the most practical nuts and bolts, spoons and forks. How do we do it? I wanted it to be a book that was going to be relatable to a variety of people in a variety of places because I happen to live in you know a, a just a regular kind of urban neighborhood, I guess, semi-urban. I don't know. The houses are really close together. Um, It's not a suburban situation, but I know a lot of us live in the suburbs. A lot of us live in apartment buildings in huge cities. A lot of us live in places like where I used to live, you know, rural, out in the middle of nowhere. No matter where we are and what our life looks like, we need people around us to to help us know that we belong and to give us that shared courage for the future and hope and all those things. So, so that's, that's what start with hello really is.
0: Sometimes I think living out in the country sounds really beautiful and blissful, but like I need that neighbor interaction when yeah. I'm sitting on my porch or when I'm walking my kids to school. Like I, I just like need almost like someone outside of this family, like right. just to yes. pass by for my own, like anchoring, I guess is a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us how you landed? Like, I know you guys did buy a house out in the country and you decided like this, this yeah. isn't what we're supposed to be doing here.
1: Yeah. So so are you asking like how did we get from that to that? Yeah, this? like
0: you thought that was what you mm-hmm. wanted and then yeah. you realized, wait, maybe this isn't right. So yeah, how did yeah how did you come to that decision? Sure.
1: Yeah. You know, we thought it was what we wanted because it was really all both of us had known. Mm. We had both grown up in kind of rural, out in the country, farm housey contexts. Um And I, and I think so many of us, you know, we are drawn to what's familiar to us. We're more comfortable with what's familiar. And so it it kind of feels like the path had been sort of paved before us. You know, this is just, this is what we knew. It's how our parents and siblings had lived and were still in a lot of cases living. And so it just felt like, oh, you know, of course, at some point we're going to buy a house, a farmhouse out in the country with barns and, you know, all the things. And we're going to, Raise our family there just like we have been raised and our kids are going to run around barefoot outside in the, in the pasture. And, <laughs> you know, that was just the only image I really, um, had embraced. It was, it was the, the, the main possibility I saw for myself. I knew my childhood and life had been so good and positive and idyllic in many ways. And so I, I didn't have the imagination to see that there were other ways to also you know, give children a a good life and maybe a very different life. Um, And so, yeah, there was just a strange series of events that kind of put us into a place of recognizing, wait, you know, we thought we were going to, this was kind of our forever home. It was my dream farmhouse. It was all I ever wanted. And we started to recognize that maybe there was, maybe there was something more for us and for our family. And, and quite honestly, the recognition that maybe, that more for us was going to look like less. Mm. And that was something I had never ever considered for myself or for my children, for my family. And we, we sold that bigger home and that, that more beautiful in many ways home. And, and we, we moved into a kind of a rundown, overlooked and under resourced in some ways neighborhood that just a lot of people don't give a second thought to. It's just kind of a, a drive by little neighborhood. We packed ourselves into this much smaller house and sent our kids to the neighborhood school, which was a failing school at that time. Um, just everything about our life started to to kind of flip-flop, and and the life we thought we wanted for ourselves, um, we started to imagine that that maybe there were different things that we could want, and that there was a different path towards what it looks like to live the good life. And, and we just kind of set out with, you know, not knowing so much and, and being open to, to possibility and being open to, to, um, new, new ways of being. And, and here we are, you know, 10 years later. And it's just, I just, I have no regrets. It's just been, it has opened me up to this idea of, of living in a way that is interconnected with the people around us of living in, in a way that we, we should be and we can be open to difference, that we don't have to be afraid of, of people who live differently or whose experiences are different. Um, it just it cracked me open. It changed it changed a lot about the way I see the world and the way I see my place in it.
0: How do you even find that neighborhood?
1: <sighs> you know, those are the things that are kind of just, it, it, it feels like kind of happenstance yeah. or, you know, who knows how we had looked at a couple of other homes in this city. They were kind of across town and and neighborhoods that are more like, you know, the brick street with the big historical homes. And they were Mm -hmm. so beautiful. And Mm -hmm. we toured a couple of those homes and they were beautiful. And I love old houses. I always have. And there was just something about it that I just, I remember walking, we had seen three houses back to back. And we walked out. It was pouring down rain. We had these little tiny kids with us. And I said, I just, this just doesn't feel quite right. And Corey felt the same way. And then we ended up finding this neighborhood because of the the actual block that we live on was being sort of positioned as like a, most of the block was abandoned homes at that time. And so there was a, a nonprofit organization that was um, rebuilding these homes. And you know, I had always said foolishly that I didn't understand people who live in kind of cookie cutter houses uh-huh. where they all kind of look the same. And now we live in the white one. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> row of houses that are all basically the same house. Ours is the white one.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, that, that kind of piqued our interest in, in different ways. And, and by the time we, we kind of, I keep looking out the window here. Yeah. By the time we found this neighborhood, it was just, it was so much of what we were looking for that we didn't know we were looking for. You know, mm-hmm. I, we are, my husband and I are white parents of four non-white kids. And that is something that if I'm being honest about, you know, 12, 13 years ago, I wasn't even really super aware of, of what that meant and why that mattered and why, why there was, um, why, why we could actually cause harm through that dynamic and like there was just so much i didn't know then but what i did know was that it was not a good idea to raise my kids in an in an all white community which is where we had been before and so we we you know came upon this neighborhood that is just super diverse in every sense of the word and there was something about that i think that was like uh, unfamiliar in some ways but but also an immediate you know comfort to my to my mama heart <laughs> and just feeling like oh you know our our kids that this might be a really really beautiful place to raise our kids and it just has
0: been Hey friends a quick break here I want to thank Gooder for supporting this podcast I'm so excited they've signed on for another year and these are the best sunglasses out there they're functional fashionable and they have all sorts of fun colors. They have classic colors and styles, and they are affordable. Not only are they affordable, they don't break easy either. They like really stand the test of time. I just throw these suckers in my purse and they survive. I don't know how they do, but they do. They have some really cool new sunglasses out now. I love the, I like it like that, these purple sunglasses. I think those are my new favorites. And for listeners of the show you can get free shipping the code is another it's just another and when you use that code you get free shipping off your order so go to gooder.com another use the code another and that'll get you free shipping uh all right friends and hey when you support a sponsor of this podcast that's you supporting this show we can't do this show without sponsors or without you listeners those are two things that are very essential so thank you if you've ever purchased from a sponsor before we really appreciate that and thank you for listening all right back to the show Who are some of the people that you've looked to, or like the authors that you've read that have helped you guide you through that process of being white, yeah. raising non-white children?
1: Oh man, um, where do I begin? I would say, I wish I had a list ready for you. I I'm read... sorry, I should have asked you that. No, that's okay. There's a book, um, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna yeah. pop this open if that's okay, because yeah, it is a book. I just want to get her. Name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Melissa is her first name. Melissa, I think it's uh, Guida, Guida Richards.
0: Okay.
1: She has a book that came out re- more recently. It's called What White Parents Should Know About Transracial Adoption. Okay. Melissa Guida Richards. Um, it's a newer book, so I can't say that it was, it, you know, it, it, it's just been such a journey and such a process for me in learning and understanding. Part of it is just as my kids get older, um, you know, they face different things. And, and I've had to do my very level best to to keep up and to be a, a safe person for them, and to bear their their own feelings and experiences in a way that was not going to center my own self and my own feelings. And, you know, to believe them, to believe the ways that they have been subjected to unfairness and racism and prejudice and all those things so part of it has been that process of of them getting older and just being out in the world more and a little separated from me you know and that changes things as they get older um but a couple of years ago I I made the the intention to to listen more closely to adoptees themselves Mm -hmm. and so Melissa is an adult adoptee because what I what I found, and there are some good books written by adoptive parents, but the the market on parenting books about adoption, to, from my perspective, it seems kind of saturated by adoptive parents, mm-hmm. and so there's value in hearing from some of these folks. But what we really need to be listening to is the adoptees themselves, um, adopt. Uh, Sorry, birth parents who have made adoption plans for their for their children, and so I just kind of set that intention that I was going to more exclusively read those perspectives, and it was challenging in some ways. Um, It was very important for me, and just for my process, and just for my my understanding of the world and and my relationship with my kids. It's you know if if anybody listening is an adoptive parent, I really really recommend that that we be more careful and intentional with who we are listening to and be willing to listen to voices that will make us uncomfortable. Mm. And they will. Um, and they have, but in ways that have been really fruitful for me.
0: Yeah, that that's tough. And that's something that we've been talking about a lot in our country over the last few years, especially yeah. listening to things that make us feel uncomfortable and also yep. things that make us realize like, Oh shoot! Like I had that wrong the whole it, time. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You do a really good job talking about that openly too, um, on your spaces of the internet. And I wonder if you can walk us through like what that's like for you. Um, maybe even coming all the way from your background working in politics mm-hmm. to like, mm-hmm. and your Christian. I- I'd love to hear like your Christianity and like your your heart with yeah. that as well. Like that progression of how your life has changed. Yeah. I know that's a big, like, really big thing. I love thing, it. But I've kind I of, like, it. seen it happen a little yeah. bit.
1: Yeah. I think anybody who has followed me for for a while, I mean, especially the, there are still some folks who, who followed me back from the farmhouse when i was blogging under flower patch farm girl is that when you is that do, do um, you know about that or did you come upon I me later i think i came
0: after but like i've heard the stories yeah cuz i've yeah. heard you on plenty of podcasts
1: yes that's the that i wrote that whole story as my first book falling free is kind of like that the big shifts in our lives um i i would say you know to to try to i love the question and the answer is so layered and complex but to try to kind of to kind of pare it down uh, without scaring people too much, like so much of my life really did flip. You know, my husband and I, 15 years, we've been married now for, I don't know, 23 years for a while. When we were first married, we were, you know, we had both grown up in, in Christian evangelical homes. We met at a small Christian college. We really believed that we were living life as we were supposed to which meant for us that you know you only move up the ladder you never you never take steps back down off of the ladder you only move into bigger homes you only take jobs if they pay you more money and and that was just the the trajectory that we saw that was what was kind of um you know applauded and we were doing that and so we felt like you know we've we've got this together we're doing everything that we're supposed to do. And at some point when, when things started to really rumble under underfoot when we were back living in that farmhouse, we, we started to understand in a way that's hard to really describe, especially briefly, um, that we were really living the american dream. We were not living some christian ideal. We were living the american dream with a side of Jesus. You know, our christian faith was important to us, but we were just kind of bringing Jesus along with us while we moved up the ladder and, you know, we we had both worked in federal politics at that point. We lived in Washington D.C. for a time. My husband worked for two United States congressmen. Our politics were very, very conservative. We both worked in very conservative spaces and and over time that started to maybe make some minor shifts, but it was, it was honestly moving into this neighborhood Mm. that really, um, kind of unraveled some of our worldviews that we had held so firmly to. And, and for us trying to then disentangle or make sense of, you know, our faith and our politics, you know, to, to live as people whose whose politics, whose view on the world was informed by our faith. I think we had said for so long that that's what we were doing. But but there came a point in time where we found ourselves um, unable to explain some things. Yeah. There were things that just weren't fitting. Things that, you know, are for, for Jesus people, which I know not all of us listening here are, and I love that. Um, but, you know, we're Jesus-y people. And so that's, that's what we look to as kind of our, our ideal or, you know, what we want to model or we want to model our life after the life of Jesus. And, and we, found, we found places in our political worldview where these things just did not match up anymore. And it was kind of, you know, it was scary in some ways. And, and there was some relational fallout as our, as our political perspective started to shift Um, but, but I guess the good news is that we can be people who, who ask different and better and harder questions. We can be people who change, you know, somebody said once to me a long, long time ago, I don't remember who God doesn't change. So we must, Mm. you know, if we're trying to, to be closer to God or closer to, you know, whatever it is we're looking to, to, to give perspective on our lives, that that implies some growth and that implies some movement and some change, but but we we came to understand that for us, the the framework could hold up. You know, we could say we want to live our lives in a way that that kind of Jesus gave us the roadmap for. Jesus's life himself is the roadmap for us, and so we can look to that first as as the thing that informs. The way we live our actual life here in Goshen, Indiana. And that even if people around us don't understand, and even if people are upset, even if it's disruptive in some ways, um, that, that we can hold that integrity and, and really believe that, that there's a way to do it. And, and it won't be easy necessarily, but there's a way to, to live that way. There's a way to honor our neighbor. I mean, I think that's where so much of, of, you know, this, this Obsession with living as neighbors came from because you know that that was one of the one of the key verses throughout Scripture. Love God and love your neighbor. Well, if I was being honest, I had no idea what that meant, and I had never really interrogated that question. So, so to move my my faith and my political um, ideals away from what is best for me, mm. and you know what what is my personal freedom what is best for my child? What is best for my family? And to be able to kind of widen that scope to, we really are all in this together. And and we really do need to be loving our neighbors well. Um, and in real life, not just in theory, but like with our lives and with our time and with our actual selves. and And, you know, that's going to complicate life a little bit. But uh, we've got to we've got to figure out how to do this, and and so those things all started to kind of merge together for us in a way that made sense.
0: Gosh, it's one of the hardest things as a parent. I think you know you mentioned your kids, the school they went to was a was a failing school at the time, and it's like we want what's best for our kids, yeah, always, yeah. And so, at what point do you make the choice? well, this just makes sense for our family and our neighborhood and our life. Not that this other school couldn't give them a better education. And I I do think it's a very, I don't know if it's a very American thing, but like you always want the best for your kids. And I'm not just talking about like the love. I'm like, you want the best things. And I also think that also comes from what your upbringing looked like. I'll I'll give a small example. Um, My sister and her husband, her husband came from a very traumatic background and it is very important to him. He didn't have a lot as a kid and it is very important to him that his kids yeah. have all the things, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. He provides yeah. that. Um, so I always think about that when I see how big their Christmases are and I try right. very, I'm like, I'm not going to judge that because that's coming yeah. from a place that I do not understand. That's it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious, like as you make those decisions and, yeah. and in your marriage as well, because sometimes your husband might say, well, I, I think this makes more sense. Like, those are hard conversations.
1: Yeah. yeah. First of all, I don't think there's a right way. I don't think there's one right way. I think for my family, we've, we've fallen into some things that work well for us and, and some things that are, you know, they're just kind of we, like Like you said, Lindsay, like we all come from different places with different experiences in the world. And, and that informs who we are and what we want and, and, you know, how we go about those things. And yet there, you know, for us, like one of our ideals as a family just be, it, it started to be, you know, we, we landed in this neighborhood and we fell into this new understanding of like, Oh, all kids deserve a good education. Mm. All kids deserve safety. All kids, you know, it, it, it just, we were suddenly surrounded by kids with, with, who came from different places, who suffered in ways our kids had not suffered. Um, and, and honestly, our kids have suffered in ways Cory and I have not suffered. Like, this is, this is just the reality of the world we live in. But to begin to just make that little shift into, it's not just about me, and it's not just about my, my kid, it became important to us at that point that we would send our kids to that, to that neighborhood elementary school. We had an amazing experience there and we ended up when when my youngest son was heading in he would have had one more year left at that school and I just want to be transparent about this because this is part of our life. Yeah. We did end up putting pulling him out at the end of 4th grade and he started 5th grade in a Mennonite a local Mennonite school that we never imagined sending one of our kids to. You know, we had two kids who had thrived and continue to thrive in this massive Title I public school. And then we had one kiddo who it just was not working. We had tried for five years. You know, we gave it a solid effort. And that's what I, that's my hope for people is that, you know, our, our public schools might not necessarily be able to meet all the needs that we want them to meet, but I sure hope we try. Mm-hmm. I sure hope we are, we, you know, we don't let fear hold us back from being a part of this really beautiful um, Like I just see, I see our elementary school as like this microcosm of the world. Mm. I mean, we're all these people from different places are coming together and supporting one another. And yeah, I mean, it it was challenging for me when we made that decision for Silas. And I remember saying to Corey, like, but I'm the public school mom. (laughs) Like, this is what I talk about. This is what I love. And it was true. And And so the reality is I don't have a good answer for that tension. I don't know what to do with that tension because at that point, what I knew for sure was there were other kids like my Silas who who needed things that that school was not able to give and who did not have the the privileges we had to make a different choice. Yeah. All I can say is that I hope I carry that tension with me forever. Mm. And, and the other thing that I would add is, you know, people kind of throw this around as like, well, you know, we can always support public school, even if we don't, Public school our own kids and we can, but I just want to I want to remind us that like we must yeah we must find ways like it's 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 easy to talk about that in theory like oh yeah you know support the public school but what does that mean what does that look like it has been important to me maybe in some ways if I'm being honest because of this like little bit of residual guilt I have yeah. I don't know. Um, I I know it's more than that because I know I'm just so grateful for the time all three of my kids spent there, but it's become really important for me to find like tangible, meaningful ways to continue to support that school. That's you know I I pass by it a hundred times a week. You know I'm constantly it's it's in my peripheral vision all the time, and to to find ways to meaningfully support the work that they do. Um, so yeah, I. I mean I'm I'm giving kind of long answers because you're asking good questions. Oh, thank you. It's it's hard to like like I need a yes or no question here at some point. <laughs> oh, I don't like but, those because
0: then I have to come yeah, back right away. No, I know, <laughs> I know.
1: I love it. I love it. But I'm also like, man, these are like really complex questions. I think I think it's important to be asking these questions. So thank you for that. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be honest about some of this. I I think it comes down to for me. We have to be willing to sit in complexity. Mm. We have to be willing to be um, uncomfortable. We have to be willing to look around us and say, you know, this is what works for our family. This is what matters to our family. But there are a lot of other people around us who also matter. And so the choices we make should not diminish um, the opportunities that, that others have. I mean, we just have to be willing to stay in that tension.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, Shannon, I've this is interview is just a long time coming. I mean, I know a lot <laughs> about you. I've read a lot of your stuff. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um Yeah, those are really interesting points you brought up. And it actually made me think about just like during COVID when schools were closed and like the privilege so many families had of yeah. just like having their pods and like yeah. you know, it was like so simple or like pulling their kids and sending them to private so they could be in yeah. person and like the um the very obvious differences, this different like ways this was affecting different people. Um, And I'm also, I'm on the, um, this board committee thing for my kids school, which is a public school. And um, we have a lot of refugee kids at our school. Yeah. And, um, so we have three additional teachers at the school, which are very important because English is a second language for so many kids. Like they need additional teachers. So one of my, our big things is like fundraising to fund these jobs. Yes. And a lot of the people we're going to, to ask for money are big timers whose kids go to the fancy private schools. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how much. Like, I want them to hear this conversation. Yeah. Like, I yeah. want them to see more than like, okay, my taxes pay for the public school. Like, I want them to hear the heart behind why, yes, I may send my, my kids to this school, but like, this is these are the ways I can get behind supporting yes. the public school.
1: Yes. I think, I I just think we, we owe that to each other. I really do. I'm comfortable saying, I was yeah. like, is there a better word I yeah. can use? I have as you know if you follow me long enough like I, I do have big opinions and I have big beliefs and I I am uh pretty direct with with some of those things sometimes but I think we owe it to each other that that even if you know even if we end up making different choices I think we need to be honest with ourselves mm-hmm. about those choices that we're making and that's why you know I I try to just be really transparent about some of these decisions our family has made um because it's you know there's that part of us that that's like oh this is uncomfortable I I don't even want to talk about it I don't want to think about it it's not anybody's business but my own I think we we owe it to ourselves to really dive deep and dig deep and ask ourselves you know why it is we're, we're making these choices and what it is that we are are willing to do so that other people from other places and you know other um facing other hardships and, and, and all the things also have opportunity and also have the things that they need and, and also have, you know, just anything we think our, our kid deserves, other kids deserve that
0: too. Yes.
1: And so we've got to find ways to, to kind of bridge that.
0: Hey everybody, a quick break here to tell you about Lagoon Pillows oh my goodness, is sleeping not the most important thing on the planet? There is nothing I love more than crawling into bed at night and laying my head on my comfy pillow. Let me tell you about the best pillow I have ever laid my head on and it is the Fox pillow from Lagoon. So Lagoon has a two-minute survey you fill out and it will cater what pillow you purchase to all of your needs. Are you a side sleeper, a back sleeper, do you sleep hot, do you want a firm pillow, a soft pillow, all the things Do you want to lay flat? Do you want to be up a little bit? And they put you to a pillow they have designed for your needs. It is the most comfortable pillow in my 39 years of life I've ever slept on. And you all can save 15% when you check it out. And I, I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. I'm very passionate about my sleep, even more passionate since having children. Uh, go to lagoon Lindsay. And for 15% off, you can use the code Lindsay. That's lagoonsleepcom Lindsay and use the code Lindsay for 15% off your order. All right, friends back to the show. Do you ever like feel like, uh, you know, when you get into a tiff with someone online and you, you do such a good job, like listening and, you know, being open to these conversations, but at the same time, it definitely causes like, it has to cause some inner turmoil. And like, do you ever just feel like, I don't want to do this anymore? Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I have a bigger
1: capacity maybe for conflict than other people have. Mm. I am an Enneagram eight. Okay. And I just have the capacity to lean in. I have the energy for that, that that most other people, like they kind of have to tap out a little sooner. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm uniquely positioned in some ways <laughs> to just lean into that a little bit longer. But, and, and it's really important to me to to have these hard conversations and to stay in it. yeah. Like I, I don't want to be someone who lobs at a hot take onto the internet and then turns my phone off and, <laughs> and go, you know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to start something, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to listen. I really am going to listen. I, I won't necessarily change the way I see the world, but I think listening to other people changes us yeah. in small ways and in, in ways that matter. Um, But when I, you know, when I go, go all the way in on something. If you if you pay close attention, you'll notice at the end of that, I tend to do these things on Instagram stories, number one, because it's a great way to interact. Mm. And it goes away in 24 hours. (laughs) Like there's a natural ending place to the conversation. I usually end up saving them somewhere, like make a highlight or whatever, because they can be good learning moments. Uh But it ends in 24 hours, and then you won't see much of me that that following day, because I do like there is that reality of like, we are finite people with finite energy and resources. And so I can really give a lot of myself to to complexity and discomfort. But then I need to like, be alone, I need to introvert, I need yes. to have like my, my introvert, um, you know, restoring myself by by not by not being in places like that for for a minute. So I think there's a balance there too.
0: I like that you mentioned that you're an Enneagram eight because I I get anxiety for people when they're in these conversations online because I'm yeah. an Enneagram seven. Yeah, I, right. I think I have some <laughs> six stuff going on. Like when you're talking about your husband's, you know, yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I resonate with a lot of that too. Um, but I have no capacity for it. Like, yeah, I'm like, that's, that's true. I cannot, <laughs> I can't handle it. Yeah, like, yeah. even if a friend, like one of my very good friends will like bring something up. I'm like, okay, can we just like be happy la, about la, it? La, la. Yeah, right. like <laughs> you you do you, I'll do me. I love you, yes. you love me. And can we like not talk about it anymore?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. Be- I think it's helpful to hear that there are other people people with other wirings and personalities who like you're going to approach things in a different way than I am. Yeah. And both ways are helpful and necessary. And it takes all of them. It takes all the ways. That's right. You know, I really believe that.
0: Okay, so we do have to transition quickly into um, being a good neighbor and what it looks like to be a neighbor with with this book (laughs) that you wrote Start With Hello. And, um, One of my very favorite things, I am the perfect example of this, and this is how I live. Last minute, all day, every day. Yes. And maybe, is that an Enneagram 7 thing? I don't know. I don't know, but it's a me thing. It's like I, if you tell me today, hey, do you want to go do this really exciting thing in 10 minutes? I'm like, yes. But if you tell me it's in three weeks, I'm like, what? I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to be in in three weeks, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, And so with, with neighbors and getting to know your neighbors and your community, I think one of the, one of the biggest obstacles is fear of rejection. Yeah. And I love this piece that you talk about. It's like the rejection is not as high stakes if it's like, Hey, this is last minute, but if you're free today, come on over. And that's what I always do. I'm like Friday at noon. If it's beautiful out, I'm like, I will just text the whole street and be like, anybody who wants to come, come over around five.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and if people say no, you're not like, oh my gosh, they hate me. <laughs> right. Like they might've had other plans. <laughs> right. If you, yes. I mean, that is, I love that you pulled that out of what I wrote. Um, because it's true. When, when we can get into a better rhythm and practice of being a little more spontaneous, mm-hmm. that helps us because like you said, you know, when you're feeling it, when the stars align for you, then you can throw out an invitation for whatever. And, and, and it takes the pressure off you. It makes it easier for you. If we're not going to make this easy for ourselves, we're not going to do it. No. So that's a way that for me, that makes it easier for me too. But then it also makes it easier for the other people because they don't have to make some big commitment that they might, you know, they don't know what they're signing up for. Um, and so what usually happens is some people can say yes and some people can, you know, they can't, they take a pass. But I also wrote in Start With Hello about, you know, one of the times my husband and I did that, we were in a place of like, we just wanted, we needed more friends. Yeah. We needed people around us. We sent out one of those, like, our kids were like staying with a grandparent over- overnight, which doesn't happen a ton, but they were going to be gone for the night. It was during the summer. We sent out this massive like Facebook messenger thing saying like, hey, who wants to come and hang out on our patio tomorrow night, bring a snack to share. And there were three couples who showed up and a bunch of people couldn't make it for whatever reason. That was fine. The three couples who showed up, like we hardly knew them. We didn't know any of them very well. And they have become like some of our absolute best friends. And it was, it was like the magic of that, like last minute, like, why not? Mm-hmm. What's the worst that that could happen? So yes, I mean, I could tell a hundred stories about how making that like spontaneous ask is just the way to go.
0: How about like connecting though with neighbors that it feels a little uncomfortable or awkward? Like you're like, how is this going to work? I mean, one of the, mm-hmm. one of the relationships you've talked about, I don't know if I heard you on a podcast or read it in the book as... Is a lady that was like 25 years older than you. And she ended up being your very, one of your very best friends. I know she's passed away since, but. Yeah. um, Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. And it made me think too, like we have these elderly neighbors across the street who've lived in this neighborhood for 60 years. I think he's almost 90 and she's like early 80s. And I'm like, we really need to invite Bill and Maxine over for dinner. Mm -hmm. And I've been hesitant because of COVID kind of like, you know, they're old, really, really old. Um, And I don't, you know, but I'm like, we'll just, we just need to, like do it on the back porch or whatever. Yep. But that's kind of intimidating. Like, it Bill is. and Maxine wanna come over. We have four right. really rowdy little boys. Like, we are very. I'm like afraid one of my kids is gonna knock them over. Right. Right. Bill, you said Bill and Mary. Maxine. Oh, Bill and Maxine. I love it. I know.
1: I I do. I think what you just said. Like, do they even want to? That's the thing that holds me back Mm -hmm. is that very thought. Like, what if I'm making awkward? What if I'm making it awkward for them? Yeah. When in reality, whenever I have those thoughts and I have them often because I am a true, true introvert who wants to avoid all of this, Mm -hmm. if I could, like I think I want to avoid it, Mm -hmm. you know, like I've learned now over time, I've really tested this and I know now that on the other side of these things that make me feel uncomfortable, are really good and beautiful things. And, and it's connection waiting for me. And so that's made it easier. But but my wiring is still like, Oh, gosh, this is awkward. I mean, I just feel awkward all the time. I'm afraid of making other people feel awkward. I have learned to put myself on the other side of that equation. So when I start to tell myself, like, what if they don't, you know, what if this is weird, and they don't want to come? If somebody invited you over, you would never feel like well, that was super awkward. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you might feel a little nervous just because you don't know them, but you would also probably feel pretty honored, you yeah. know, to be asked, to be invited. So I try to just kind of flip that. It helps me tremendously to do that be- because we, you know, we we put up barriers that are not helpful to us when we decide things for other people. Mm. Um, and I do, I I have to push, fight against that all the time. The other suggestion that I would make Is that you say, where do you live? What state are you in, by the way? Um,
0: By the way, I used to live in Indiana, and now I live in North Carolina.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, so weather permitting, whatever that means for people. Like, it's finally starting to warm up. Just we're kind of inching towards spring here in Indiana. So during the winter months, things like this feel a little harder. harder. But when things warm up, I mean, say to your neighbors, would you want to come over after dinner Mm. for an hour? Mm. Like, hey, would you want to come over and like have iced tea or have, you know, Corey and the, the other men around us in our neighborhood, they're, they're like trading beers. They're like having somebody over for a beer or whatever, whatever it is that your thing is or that you think they might enjoy, but make it after dinner because that feels so much easier to everybody, especially yeah. when it's like a first time thing. And then also, like, then you're not worried about food. You're not worried about what do they like and, you know, all the prep work and all of that. I I had friends, it, anything I know about this stuff, I learned from the people around me, 100%. And so I'm thinking of my friend Grant who invited us over years and years ago and said, hey, would you want to come over after dinner for popcorn? Mm. And he popped popcorn and poured cups of ice water. and And we knew it was, like, going to be, like, you know, It wasn't going to be like a four-hour affair. It was going to be like a 90-minute thing. And then we were going to go home. And that made it easy for him to offer. It made it easy for us to say yes. yes. We have to find ways to make this really easy for everybody so that we do it more.
0: Yeah, because we think it has to be this big thing, and I will say it right here. I make it a big thing. Like, yeah, I think
1: we all I think, do. We think we have
0: to. And part of me, sometimes, I once I invite somebody, I start inviting more and more because there's <laughs> two things. One, I don't want anybody to feel left out, and I'm kind of obsessed with that. And then two, yeah. The more people I feel like the less awkward because then you don't have awkward silences. If it's just yes, you and another couple, like true. there's like some navigating there, like filling the yes. space that you feel like you have to do. Um, but yeah, I always over invite for those two reasons. I love
1: that though. <laughs> and and it increases the likelihood that some people will be able to. Yeah. Because some people won't be able to.
0: But um, financially, there is a barrier for some people. And because I will yeah. say, like, yes. if I go all out and I invite all these people, I'm going to Trader Joe's and spending a lot of freaking That's money. Right. Yep. And I I mean, I want to have that atmosphere, but you don't have to do that.
1: No, because also there's nothing wrong with doing that. And sometimes I do that. And I've I have many friends who do it really well. Yeah. But we also have to keep in mind that when we like put out this big spread. It causes the other people around us to think, oh, that's what I have to do then. If I have people over. Yeah. Like the if we set the bar really high, then other people are less likely to think that they can meet that mm-hmm. bar. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we did a thing at the end of the summer where we just, we it was new friends that we didn't know well and all those things like, what if it's awkward silence? I yeah. mean, music always helps. Like have music always. playing. Always. The kids, you know, rowdy kids help a little bit. And we just said, do you want to come over and make s'mores? Like Mm -hmm. make it a specific thing or, you know, put out a mass invite. Who wants to come over tomorrow night or this weekend or whatever and bring something to share? Yeah. And then you're contributing whatever one little thing you're contributing. And other people, it, it makes other people feel a part of it. Like, you know, they've they've added value to it. And it also lets people know like, oh, we can do this in ways that are so simple and easy and accessible and inexpensive. We really can. And if we get into the rhythm of doing things that way, we do it more often.
0: We had a Super Bowl party and I'm like, everybody brought so much stuff. And I kept telling my husband before, I was like, we literally only need to make one thing. And yes. he kept tacking things out. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> everybody is bringing lots of things. Like, yes. and we, and then what ended up happening was we had this massive salad that he had made it didn't even get brought out because a, we forgot about it. B there wasn't even space for it. So right. nobody wanted that salad. Nobody at the wanted Super the Bowl. salad.
1: I know. <laughs> I mean, it, I would have, I love salad. It but... had bacon
0: in it. It was okay, like, it okay. was not like a healthy salad. We'll
1: allow it. <laughs>
0: or whatever you would have <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, but it was funny. And I was like, now we got to eat this stinking salad for like five days straight, <laughs> right. you know? Um, okay. Last thing. And we're doing into podcast friends. There's so much more to Shannon's story that we didn't even get to touch on. And I knew it would <laughs> be like that. It's okay. Um, can you just tell everybody what you do at The Soup Kitchen? Oh, yes. I work as a... I'm on staff two days a week
1: at our neighborhood community nonprofit that feeds our neighbors. So I work in the kitchen as a cook. I do a lot of prep work. Like, that's that's the main thing I'm called into duty for. But we, we make lunch for about 80 Meals on Wheels clients. So we package up their food and send it out with drivers. And then we turn around and make... You know, we, we make the same meal for Meals on Wheels and for our crowd of anywhere between, I don't know, 40 to 70 people a day. So we, we do from scratch hot meals. Wow. We're really proud of our food. We're really into it. We're foodies. Um, and And so a lot of the people we are feeding are houseless people in our community but a lot of the people aren't a lot of the people come because they want that connection they might be a little food insecure but they might just be you know needing to be around people so it's just kind of like anybody who who wants to come and eat with us can come and eat
0: I love that how did you even stumble upon it
1: I mean you know it's a long story (laughs) as they all are I just the the when I finally took a tour, I had known about it for a long time. I had given neighbors rides there. My husband is the chaplain of the county jail, which we didn't even get to. I know,
0: I know. <laughs> I I it kept crossing my mind and like you don't have time, Lindsay. We don't have time for we'll it. We'll have to record another podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but because of, you know, we have a lot of people in and around our lives who um who are just struggling in ways that that we have not struggled. So I knew about the window. That's the name of the organization. But I, I had never been inside the building. And so when I finally decided, like, I need to go in there and, like, see this for myself, I was instantly hooked. Mm. And I just put a, a put kind of a feeler out and said, hey, if you ever need to hire somebody else in the kitchen. I knew I couldn't do it five days a week because of my other work as an author and, you know, those things. But I said, you know, part-time, if you ever need somebody part-time, remember me. And within a couple of months, they, they needed somebody. So I've been there for almost four years now. And it's like the best thing, the absolute best thing for me.
0: Yeah. And it's, it kind of goes back to the beginning of the story when we talked about like, you thought you were on this trajectory of like, you have to climb up and do all these things. And it's like, would you, you know, you've written three books, like, but would you have ever thought like, I'm, I'm going to be on staff at a nonprofit making food. Right. Making, I
1: mean, you know, it's like a small hourly wage, but, but honestly too, it was helpful to us like it was income that was helpful like you know just I, I i think we've got to get away from from positioning certain jobs as being more important than others i mean yes. we've all just got bills to pay and and that job happened for us at a time when we needed that extra income to help feed our teenagers <laughs> at home who were oh. growing and like so it it wasn't you know sometimes people act like oh you you know you must be a volunteer it's like No, like I needed a job and this was a job that was available to me. And, you know, we don't have to be ashamed of those things. I mean, we're all we're all caring for our families the best we can. And if we can find a way to to care for other people while we're doing that, it's just it's such a win. I I know that this work will likely outpace my work as an author. Like I I know that one day I'm going to be done writing books. I don't know when. But you know, someday in the future, and I just imagine that I will can I will still be in that kitchen. I'll still be chopping carrots, chopping onions. I mean, it's just it's going to be something that's that's a part of my life for a long time.
0: Do you ever think like? Okay, so I li- I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Okay, lived in Indianapolis for my, the majority of my adult life, and we just moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, like two years ago. Okay, and I'm part of the reason we moved is because we were restless. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was my husband's job. Um, but like, do you ever think like the older I get, the more I'm like, is this it? You know, like yeah. it just feels yeah. like scarier. like, you know, and part of me now that we're here, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I would have never known these humans. Like we'll be walking to school with our kids and I'm like walking by Steve and Allison. Yeah. And I'm like, I would have not even known these people existed. And I can't imagine that. So do you ever like, get that like sense of urgency like is this it i i used to
1: have that more and i still like i'm always up for an adventure Mm. (laughs) like that's part of who i am um but i gotta tell you the longer we live here the more i cannot imagine Mm. doing this again and and i say that knowing that if that that these things are not always within our control you know, I'm not going to be the one who says like I'm never leaving. I yeah. tried that when I lived in that farmhouse, and, and we know how that went. So I'm trying to hold things loosely and be open to wherever life takes us. But but I do. There's something so meaningful about you know as long as we're here for however long that is, wherever you happen to be, wherever we are, to really be here, to really intend to stay. And, you know, if things change, if we find ourselves moving on, then we'll do it again. But but I just look around at this community and, and our place inside the community. And I there's something really powerful about resisting those feelings of like, you know, curiosity or adventure or whatever they are, resisting some of that for me and just settling into like the mundane of it, mm-hmm. the the ordinariness of it the imperfection of it like this place isn't perfect there uh, there are things I would change about it there are things I would change about myself like all you know we have we have all of this happening but to kind of commit to this place anyway for as long as I'm able I that's that's what I hope I can do that's what I hope
0: I love that message you can commit to the place that you're at no matter where that's at yeah to the place that you live
1: Uh, understanding that we, yeah, you know, that, that life is going to do what it's going to do. But, but for as long as we were here, we're going to, we're going to stay, you know, we're going to really stay.
0: If parenting has taught you nothing else, it's like, don't, um, don't ever say I'll never do this. Amen. (laughs) We've all made that mistake. (laughs) I remember with my first kid, I was like, I never wanted to even just give him like convenient cereal because I wanted to make baby food. And I mean, it's so <laughs> laughable now. I mean, it is hysterical now. I ha- I did cloth diapers. Oh, good grief. With my first child. And anybody who knows me now is like cracking up because it's just, it's just not me. I have I have friends and and
1: family who have done that so well, but that was never going to be me. I did not do it well. <laughs> I
0: feel like my kid just always. Now that I look back, I'm like he just always smelled like pee. Like, <laughs> right? His mean, poor butt. My, I th- yes, and I think that like my in laws and my parents were just like, oh come on, just get over it, just give him right. a, a a throwaway diaper. Uh huh. Um. Anyway, okay. Well, so let's wrap up with into podcast questions here. They're fairly fast. Okay, let's do it. Uh, and thank you. Like I, you know based on what I told you, like how, how long I have followed you and read your books, like there's so many more places we could have gone. And I I knew, I knew it would have been like that, which was actually kind of, it's actually kind of nice when you interview someone like that, because, um, the prep work is really minimal because it's just very organic.
1: Yeah. I love it. I loved it. I loved our talk. Thank you.
0: Um, okay. What's something professionally or personally you would like to do in your life that you haven't done yet?
1: Professionally or personally? Well, I don't have a great answer to that. I wish I did, but mm. I will say something that that was high on my list was to, this was my third book that came out and I never got to record the audiobook mm. until this book. And that was like my agents and everybody were like, why is this like the end all be all for you? I mean, they were supportive, but it was like, for me, it was like, I just want to record my own audiobook And I got to with Start With Hello for the first time and it felt like the hugest win. Like, whatever else happens with this book release, you know, it'll be what it will be. But I, got it's my voice on the audiobook. And that felt like a huge professional accomplishment for me.
0: Why didn't you get to with your first two books? You know,
1: I things were just, I mean, it was longer ago. Like, there was this idea that it had to be a professional reader, or maybe if you were a podcaster, like if people knew your voice. But the, I think some of that culture has shifted a little bit because I think, especially with nonfiction the listener often wants to hear it in the voice of the author. I mean, I know, I felt that way. And my agents are just amazing and went to bat for me. My publisher was amazing and went to bat for me. So, the stars just finally aligned for whatever reason. And it was so much fun doing it. I cried a couple oh. times in the recording. Like you just you just get the real you get the real story when it's the the person who wrote it. Like I know where to put the inflection. Like I know what I was feeling when I wrote this. And so that comes through when you listen. So it was just – it was a big deal for me.
0: It kind of – I'm not – I haven't written any books. But it for me, I feel like it would feel like the, like, final, like, seal. Like, yeah. you actually got like, to read this it this is all. my stuff. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, I'm – it was always, like, strange to me to think of another professional yeah. reader in the world being like, my husband, Corey, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, it just was so weird to me. So, yeah, the Start With Hello is the one that, like, if you're an audiobook person – You'll get to hear me read it.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) Well, speaking of books, do you have a book you recommend, a recent book you've read that you love?
1: I'm always, always reading many books at the same time. I read incessantly. I'm going to recommend a couple books to you. Two. I'll limit it to two. Um, Recent Reads, What Cannot Be Lost by Melissa Zaldivar. I don't know if you know her.
0: I don't think it's I a didn't. fairly
1: short book. It is gorgeous. It's about, it's a Christian book. The subtitle is How Jesus Holds Us Together When Life is Falling Apart. It's written by Melissa. She's a young, um, young woman. She's unmarried. And that, you know, singleness is kind of one of the things mm-hmm. that is like a theme that she talks about really beautifully. She's funny. It's about grief, but it's also about like, taylor swift like she she brings in all these really she just has such a unique voice and i and it's about i the the main thing i should say it it's it's kind of based on the book little women okay like it's it's like all these like intersecting parts i loved this book so much so that's my first one and then this is a book Roses in the Mouth of a Lion. This was a library book. It's a novel I took to Portugal with me. Like, I took a whole library book with uh-huh. <laughs> me and three other books because that's how I roll. Um, By Bushara Raymond. I loved it. I just, I read it really quickly. I, I, I'm really careful. Like, I want to take books that I really love overseas because you're stuck with them. Yeah. And I read the first, like, two pages and I was, like, slammed it shut. Like, I love this writing so much. I'm going to save it and take it with me. And it was, it, it came through.
0: That's the best when you get that in a book. I felt that way about the Midnight Library, like the third page. I was like, I love this. Like I, I, I already don't want it to end. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. Yes. Um, do you have somewhere you recommend taking kids, like a fun outing you've done with your family?
1: When my kids were little, we did a lot of what we called pizza park, where we would go sit at a Like we'd order a pizza to go in a box and then go spread out a blanket at the park. And it was like with little kids, like sometimes that's the best you can do. Mm. Like restaurants are really hard and expensive. Don't act like it's fun. No, no. And then you're just mad that you spent the money and everybody's in a bad mood and you don't get to eat your food. And so and sometimes that's an easy thing to pull other people into. Like, hey, who wants to meet at the park? Bring a pizza. Like put a frozen pizza in there and do whatever you got to do. Or I'll bring pizza, you bring chips, whatever. Um, that was something that worked really well for us when our kids were little. And now that they're older, we just take what we can get. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> like, if we can get them all in the same place
0: together, that's a win. I know. I'm still in this su- – I'm, like, in the su- – I think I'm in the sweetest of sweet spots because I'm out of diapers. Like, my youngest is 4 and my oldest is 10. So, like, yeah. I know people still want to be with us. Yes. Sometimes too much, you know, but right. like, I know I'll miss it. I know all the things. You will. You will. Um, <laughs> uh, we went through phase two where we like literally just didn't go out to eat for like three years. I was like, this is stupid. We're just not doing it. Yeah, right. Like, there's just right. no point. I'm not trying to, there's there's no, I'm not trying to prove anything. Nope. Um, okay. Last question. What is your last message to leave with our audience today?
1: My last message is that it is not too late to find connection. You know, we we think back to when we were kids and it felt so much easier and we just kind of looked around us then like, oh, hey, we're in the same class. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, we're on the swings at recess. Let's be friends. We can do that in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And and we miss out when we think we have to find like our perfect match. So often some of the best friendships and connections happen in ways that, you know, might not make sense on paper. So rather than looking for people who remind us of ourselves or who feel really comfortable Let's just look around and see who's right in front of us and, and go first, just reach out in whatever awkward way. Awkwardness is part of it and it's fine. We'll all be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not too late to start. It's not too late to, to build that, that connection that we need as we
0: make it through life. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. I loved it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Shannon, for coming on the podcast. You all can learn more about Shannon and everything she's doing. Go pick up her books. Um, her website is shannonmartin.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine 626 I'm at lindsayhine on Twitter. And if you want to learn anything about this podcast or any of the shows in our network, just go to sandyboyproductions.com. All right. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. I'm so happy you're here. Have a great rest of your week.